0: Listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun.
1: Thanks, everyone, for finding Making Data Simple. Al Martin here. Uh, it's a rainy day in Kansas City, where I am. And I am speaking with Simon Lightstone today, who I think is in Toronto. How's the weather there in Toronto, Simon?
0: For Toronto, it's awesome. No snow, <laughs> late summer. <we're laughs> is all that there. the
1: threshold? Is it like just no snow and it's good. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> I got it. So Simon is the offering manager for um, DB2 on Cloud. He is an IBMer. We you know try to spread the wealth in terms of having IBMers as well as. You know, others in the industry come onto the podcast. The reason we chose Simon is we want to talk to him about bringing the startup culture to a big or small organization, doesn't matter, any organization, but certainly from IBM standpoint, a big organization. He's got a unique mindset that I find very interesting. We talk uh, quite often. So first off, thanks for being here, Simon. I appreciate your time. Why don't I, I let you take a few minutes to kind of introduce yourself?
0: Okay, sure. So, uh, I'll introduce myself and, you know, my roles both in startups and at IBM. So, I, I, I founded a startup called IQ Storage. Ultimately, that got sold to a competitor. Uh, then I kind of took some time off and uh, was a consultant. And finally, uh, I joined IBM initially as a cloud architect. And pretty rapidly, I was moved into offering management, which is what IBM calls sort of business line management or perhaps product management. So, yeah, I started my startup when I was very young. I was still a teenager and, uh, you know, I went through that path and there are a lot of really interesting things you learn. And then going from there to a big company, you really start taking for granted the things that you had in the startup land. But even more, it also helps you realize a lot of the benefits of working for a big corporation. But most of all, all of a sudden in a big corporation, priorities, you have to fight hard for priorities not to change. Um, Because as I'll talk more through this, really at a startup, you're so focused on growth that you just don't have time for anything else. It's just selling, product development, and anything else really has to be cast aside. Whereas as soon as you go to a big corporation, there's a lot of other things like logistics that come into play. And it's quite a battle to make sure you're always keeping growth ahead of all other priorities.
1: All right. Fair enough. I've got a couple of comments already. Let me ask one question before before I jump in. Do you like grilled cheese sandwiches?
0: Oh, I love grilled cheese sandwiches. I am a big okay. fan. In fact, I wrote a blog. Oh uh, <laughs> so yeah. Tired. So if you so check, I'll get,
1: I'll get back to that question. I figured you might. I figured you might like grilled cheese sandwiches. That's yeah. why I asked the question. My interpretation of what you just gave me is: Look, I started a, or I, I, I uh, created or constructed a startup. We did well. We got bought out. I became rich, and then I took some time off and came to IBM to play around. Is that true? Uh,
0: I think that's an oversimplification. Um, <laughs> no comment further. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. I, and, and by the way, I know you are very active on, uh, well, at least I've seen you vet, very active in your writing, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, et cetera. Let's start with the, the startup, because I think your history does have relevance here as you go into the notable difference that you differences you, that you mentioned. Can you talk a little bit about fo- uh, founding that startup, how you went about creating a, a company? I believe it was in cloud backup and file storage. Can you tell us a little bit about it, what you, what you learned and what to do and what not to do?
0: Sure. Yeah. So, first of all, you know, I got the idea because I was traveling a lot and I felt I always needed my data with me. In fact, it got to the point where I was like, okay, what do I need more, my files or my physical items? And I realized I really needed my files. So, that's where I built out IQ Storage, which was initially a file sharing, a bit like an earlier version of Dropbox. And that's where the idea came. In terms of the mentality, uh, so with the startup, you really start with nothing. So you think initially, oh, yeah, I'm going to have a, uh, an idea. I'm going to throw it out there. I'll get like seven customers in the first month. Then, you know, I'll be modest. Maybe look we'll at 50 in the second month. It doesn't work like that. Basically, the one thing that you realize as soon as you start anything, whether it's even an internal product line in a big company or a startup, is nobody cares. They don't care. They don't know who you are. And you realize that your whole life you've had this bias, which is that, you think, oh, Facebook did well because they had such a great product, and that's all there was. You think, okay, uh, you know, Dropbox did well because they're such a good product, and that's what did it. But in fact, it's very, very hard to get attention for any product line, whether you're a big company or a small company, and to really start, start that momentum. Uh, and, and so then begins the great fight when you sort of realize that, this void that people are not going to sign up or care about my product unless I really get in their face make a very clear statement, and frankly, figure out a engine, a growth engine to grow it. Um, And that is where the main challenge is. I think very few companies fail because, chiefly, because of product. Their product is what enables them to grow and maintain competitiveness. But chiefly, companies fail because they don't have growth engines to build them up. And that's really, you know, you kind of learn that the hard way. Now, to be number one, obviously, you need to have a great product. But before that, you need a growth engine. So just as an example, you may be wondering, what the heck did I do to get awareness? Well, first, I tried a whole bunch of things that didn't work. It actually took, luckily, I was still young. I was, you know, living in my mom's basement, which is a huge advantage. And I tried one thing after another until I finally tried a few things. Uh, First, I tried putting uh, ads in a local magazine. That totally failed. It was a local technology magazine. I don't know if they exist anymore. And that costed, you know, about $1,000 of very hard-earned money as a camp counselor. Then I went to that same magazine and I put a classified ad. I got a few customers who paid me $100 a month until basically I sold the business so. So It's a good example of how even a subtle change in your, in your approach, you really need to experiment. How I really grew the business then was through uh, Google Cost per Click, and then through really just talking to IT resellers who will resell my product. But really, Cost per Click was the main engine, and so I learned a lot about digital marketing. And uh, Keep in mind, uh, a lot of people out there who may be hearing this may have tried Cost per Click for their own company uh, and had mediocre results or for their own startup. Uh, All I have to say is that you really need to be obsessed with your marketing engine to get out all the little wrinkles until finally you turn around into something that has a solid ROI. Uh, So you can't just, in my opinion, hire an agency to do your advertising for you. You you need to be obsessed with it for a little while until you get that engine refined. Just one example is, you know, with my cost per click, I would put the price in the ad, right? That would mean that if somebody's going to click that ad and charge me a dollar, then I've already qualified that. That lead that let me uh, compete uh, against way bigger competitors and really always be in the number one spot. There's a lot of things like that, which which you sort of learn as you go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause there and and.
1: <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. I, so we'll get to the growth engine. I think it's relevant just to to talk to your product just a bit. It was a cloud backup and a file storage business. Plan, I know what you're talking about, and it was in in the same vein as Dropbox. Is that what you said?
0: I would say, so we started off as something that was similar to Dropbox, but it was, you know, much more basic at the time. It did FTP hosting, sort of a more basic web interface. And then afterwards, uh, I also branched into online backup, and that was more enterprise grade. I really hit that niche hard. And that's where, you know, we we did, you know, backup for all sorts of uh, different things like Microsoft Exchange. Um, You know, this is basically a cloud backup system where you just install the, the agent, so to speak, on all the machines in your company. And then every day it will automatically back up all the data on that to the cloud. And that was the essential recipe for the online backup portion.
1: So did it branch into backup? In other words, you started with the, the hosting and the interface to the, the hosting service. Was it backup to that hosting service or did you venture into backup and then just, you know, provide backup for anyone?
0: Uh, good question. So, well, I, I quickly realized that B2B was, was a way easier focus area for me. So, so very early on, uh, you know, for this file storage service, which you could really think of as drop as box.com or Dropbox. Uh, for that, you know, basically that was a web-based interface with FTP attached, right? And that was growing well. But I kept on seeing this market opportunity for online backup. And my customers kept on wanting to, to do a bit more with the product and use it to back up their whole computer. And that product just was not quite uh, robust enough to be a, a managed enterprise-grade backup system. And so that's where uh, I kind of took the, the leap to create a second product line and sell the online backup. And, and that's where that really happened.
1: So in, in the end, what, where did you do better business-wise? Was it the, the backup or the actual hosting of file storage?
0: The backup definitely overtook things, right? So that, that started growing pretty quick. Uh, but, you know, both product lines were, were pretty strong. And, you know, the goal was, of course, to get customers using both of them. But uh, yeah, the backup definitely took off. Now that market has sort of uh, faded away a little bit as things become cloud native. But you can imagine, you know, at that time, it was very, very popular because there was no box.com where you can easily edit files online. People really needed to back up all their servers in a very, very simple way.
1: Yeah. So I got what what year were we talking here, if you wouldn't mind?
0: I think that it was around, man, you're testing me here. It's (laughs) probably 2013
1: was the uh, date That's I thought that long ago so you're a
0: young man something like right. that oh yeah I'm, I'm fairly young depends on <laughs> depends on your opinion of what young
1: is. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. So, all right so fine I mean so like any good business or any any good startup you know it, it the reason I asked that question and it's interesting to me it's it's usually most startups start with one product or many do and then head in a completely different direction like for example if you look at the history of slack it's kind of like well, I don't know the analogy that I think I read once is you throw a dart at the wall and to, to, the, to the product that's going to drive the most revenue and market expansion. And then you move the board over to it. You move the dart board over to the, to, the, to the dart versus throwing the dart at the board, if that makes sense. That's probably a bad analogy. But any, like any good business, you, you found another area to expose, which was the backup. You went in that direction. Were you working during, during your startup uh, when you first started? Or did you just say, look, I'm going all in and slept in your mom's basement and went from there?
0: Yeah, well, a huge advantage I had was I was, you know, teenagers like 18, 19 at the time. So I didn't have any work to quit. And in fact, the bigger question was school. And uh, I, I did. And I think this was actually a mistake. I did stay in school, uh, even though that was really the height of the growth of the business. Uh, and otherwise, you know, who knows what would have happened. But it, it's all a matter of personal choice. Um I was actually very good at delegating so that I was able to continue, you know, full-time studies and also uh, run the business, right? So
1: uh, so the this is one man's opinion. <laughs> but Pardon? why would you say, hey, you think staying in school was a mistake?
0: Oh, uh, well, interesting. The main reason it was a mistake is this. We human beings have often have a false sense of urgency. Nothing stopped me from, you know, leaving school, taking two years to really focus on this, grow it full time, uh, you know, raise a huge round and, you know, be the next box.com. I could have done that. And you know what, if it didn't go well, I could have gone back to school two years later. It, you know, I'm older now. I want to made a difference in my life. But somehow, we get into this crucible. And then we think, oh, wait, I, I can't, I can't leave school. I, I will not be a quitter. I will not fail. I will go through this crazy computer science program. And I'll just take it all on. In fact, I, I would say that, That for those of you who are in those sorts of forks in the road, if you're thinking of doing something that you really want to do, there will never be a good time to do it. The traffic lights will never line up green. Uh, You really have to take a step back and say, you know what, is this really a big deal? You know, if I have a a business idea I want to pursue or if I have an internal career path in my organization that I've always wanted to pursue, maybe I want to be in sales or move to product management or whatever, then, you know, it probably isn't as bad as you think to just drop what you're doing. And move there wholeheartedly uh, and and I would say and that's why there's no risk to leaving school I mean we call it dropping out but there's tons of people who leave school for a few years and then come back so I basically took a situation where I had zero risk and didn't uh, pursue it and that's why I think in retrospect that would have been uh, the right move
1: well, I think everybody has a sense of urgency you, you feel like hey if I have to come back later how old will I be you know as my time passed that kind of thing and it is hard to go back but I got to believe that there was some element of the schooling that you went through, particularly in computer science that contributed to the outcome of your business. Yes. Uh, Maybe not. (laughs) Uh, So just
0: uh, just being honest, you know, the creative answer would be yes. I learned, but the the truth is that um, the one thing I did learn is I learned really how to delegate very well. I learned how to uh, focus on only the important things um, and, and really make sure that I build a self-managed business rather than sort of holding it up all by yourself right and that's i think one lesson that i that i did learn
1: oh well, you had to prioritize there was no way you could no. make it otherwise but who would you have to delegate to did you you start hiring immediately i f- i figured you'd be delegating to yourself there for some time
0: no pretty well pretty quick once so again it's the first year was the hardest part figuring out your growth engine once i was there i yeah i mean i had uh, you know an operations manager who i just really delegated everything to, and uh, and that was that was really it. In fact, even early on, as soon as I started getting traction, I actually hired one of my friends who, at that time, were both in high school, right, to help, brilliant guy, and, you know, that also helped. I, I would say if you're, you know, a lot of people say, you know, don't, you know, don't hire or don't delegate. I think that's a mistake. I think that if you really trust yourself to move a company forward and focus on growth, you do need to move some of those other tasks to those who – really enjoy doing them and who are really good at them. And that, you know, that's whether you're in a big organization or whether you're in a small organization. So that's my view, get some to share the workload because there's just a lot of work.
1: No, I, I, I certainly get your point. So you talked to the journey and I got to believe that you felt like you had a pretty good product, but where I'm going to go with is the growth engine, but the product you felt was sound about what time, how long did it take you to get the product in such a, a state that you felt like it was sellable? It was just about, head into that growth engine that we're going to talk about next?
0: Good question. Uh, it, took me about, it took me about three to six months, which which is really short in retrospect. But somehow, when you're just working in your mom's basement and there's nothing else for you to do, then you can code really quickly. right? So that's the situation. Yeah, so it was about six months. I'd say typically startups might need a slightly longer uh, runway. The, they'll come to think of it, I, I would say a lot of MVP, MVPs now are probably – Created in like a two to three month period.
1: You know, I I picture you just in this like cellar, myopically focused on trying to get this product complete. How far is yeah. that from the truth?
0: <laughs> that's the exact truth. In fact, it was yeah, it was a, yeah, that's what it was. But you know, what I loved it. I finally had a chance to focus a hundred percent on a problem, and when the human brain does that, it's it can do things that you that you could never imagine. So,
1: yeah. and then then you yell upstairs, say, "Mom, meatloaf, meatloaf, mom."
0: Oh yeah, I got. I, well, it, no, it wasn't like that. But I mean, there were some <laughs> things. So, for example, my mom made me do chores around the house, like watering her plants and this and that. And so, I had this employee, you know, my first employee. And so, I started delegating my household chores. Oh my god! To employee. <laughs> and so my mom comes home, she sees my employee watering her plants, and she just got furious. She's like, You're, "I was like, well, hey, listen, I have you know, I have to really focus on this other stuff." But it, it was not <laughs> taken. Lately. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it
1: was probably your buddy. She probably thought you're just making your buddy water uh, water your plants. Or her yeah.
0: Plant. <laughs> yeah. Like I should have probably, that would have been a great excuse. Right. But I think she knew it was, she probably knew what was going on, but
1: nice. Yeah. nice. All right. So that brings us to the growth engine. I think that's a good setup. And the reason uh, I think it's a good setup is because, um, how I know you and we're in, when we're in offering management discussions you are maniacally focused on that growth engine and things we should be doing differently uh, for our products. And obviously that the history that you have has led you to that point because there must've been a time and you've kind of alluded to this fact when you were developing the products, you had a product, but you just couldn't get it to grow. And then at some point in time you had to pivot and just put all that energy into that marketing engine to get it out there. And that lends you to all the experience that you have in the, in the various ways to do so. So you were obsessed with this marketing engine. and I'd like to talk about that because the question is, is there's so many different avenues out there. How do you choose which avenue to take? How do you find the most value in, in, in which direction and apply balance before you go broke in doing so?
0: Excellent question. Uh, the the answer I find is initially you have to combine sort of your intuition with trying everything very, very quickly. In fact, I would say uh, for those who who are thinking of you know pursuing an idea, whether it's for you're being an entrepreneur, an idea for your own uh, organization or an entrepreneur where you're going out and doing it yourself, it's actually very similar. The first thing you should do is try selling something similar that's very simple. I'll give an example uh, right now, I could. Maybe I have an idea for the i toaster. I think the i toaster is a great idea before I start you know raising capital or putting all this work into the i toaster, just put an ad on Craigslist saying you know i toaster twenty dollars you know call me and see if there's any responses there right put Put a few Facebook ads, just get a designer, or a web designer to make a mock up if you can't do it yourself it's very cheap. You can go to uh, a site that where like like ninety nine designs. Or, uh, or similar where you can just hire a freelancer to do this and get a mock-up of your toaster, of your iToaster, and then put Facebook ads, put Craigslist ads. If you want to try uh, calling wholesalers, nothing's stopping you. Again, we haven't invested a penny in the product itself. What we're doing is finding a growth engine that works, right? And I think that what many people will find is they'll be very surprised. Oh, there's nobody interested in an eye toaster right? Or the people who are interested in eye toasters actually aren't willing to pay more than five bucks, which is not going to get me anywhere. And I, I mentioned this in my blogs, but you really want to uh, practice selling and practice penetrating your market before you invest that money. Um, and this is for a big corporation like IBM, we do this in a slightly different way. And that's by, you know, really talking to, you know, our customer Rolodex and trying to get a commitment from them before we, we build out a product or at least making sure we have some traction before, but you'd be quite shocked. A lot of people take the sort of take the plunge when they pursue a new idea internally or externally. And that's really, that's really quite dangerous. Uh, The the hard work is not, is not where you should be building the product. The hard work should be validating your market and your go to market approach. That's, that's my view.
1: No, I think you, I think you're right. Uh, From my experience, most want to skip that step for whatever reason they go into the product because they're so confident. Now that you say that, you know, first when I was hearing you talk, I thought, well, how could you be that confident in a product? But the way the way I'm thinking now, the way you describe it, is that uh yeah, a lot of people have that confidence because uh, they want to get on to creating something versus trying to test it and spending money on something that doesn't exist today yet. Even though it should be like negligible. And very negligible in in, in relative comparison. So, um got it. A couple of comments I would wanna make. I thought you wrote a blog that was pretty cool on this and I think it's kinda encapsulates what you were talking about here. So I thought I'd walk through that a little bit. and Maybe we can add some more color to to some of your experience. I think the blog was called eight ways to grow your startup a much faster than your competitors. I think what I do is walk through the steps and you could, you know, make some of your comments and, and talk to your experience as to why you came up with the blog and why you think these are the steps. Fair.
0: Sounds good. Sure.
1: All right. First it says try selling something. So that was essentially what you, you just, Characterized. Anything more that you would add to that?
0: Nope. I think that I covered it again. Uh just some resources there. Just find a designer to make a mock-up if you need. And then uh remember you can always have something along the lines of, you know, pre-order, click here, or you can use Kickstarter. I talk about that a, a bit there. You can use Kickstarter as well. And one other thing I'll mention is again, whoever does this, again, whether it's for an idea you have internally or externally, put your creative juices here. How can I validate the market? for this product before I build it. And that's a tough, that's where you've got to use your creativity, right? And 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 do keep in mind that if you find that growth engine, have high standards, you know, if you have a great idea, it'll sell 100 times over with, you know, one Facebook ad. It won't be like a trickle, right? So wait until you really find that engine that that's very, very effective and fast. Um, and, and of course, I, I want to mention that, you know, don't be afraid to fail here. Right. If you have a great idea and you find that there really isn't any good channel to market, then don't keep pushing that idea, pivot a bit and then find something
1: else. But it sounds like you skipped that step and learned yeah. from it. Did you not?
0: I did. And it was terrible. I I mean, <laughs> you suffer greatly. And I think it's what every entrepreneur learns. Right. At first, just pursue their passion. And then they realize, wow, this is really hard. And that's why it took me literally a year until I found that engine. Right but my second product of course then i kind of knew that and i spent a lot of time validating and getting you know resellers on board before i even did much of the development again i i worked with them and just had some screenshots and things like that and and i made sure that it was something that they were willing to sell
1: so by the second product you actually went out there and validated the the market space for it then
0: yeah because at that point you know you learn man like you know most of this risk is you know there's a lot of risk in not in not validating yeah
1: can you tell me how you did that? Did you go out there and for a backup, went on Craigslist or something? It just didn't seem to fit. You must have done di- something different for that.
0: Right. So, I mean, I guess I was talking more generic product. Yeah, no, now, I don't get the, the B2B market. So, what I did was I, oh, I already had some resellers, you know, who from IQ Storage. So, I approached them. Uh, in this case, I know I made my own mock-ups, which was, you know, you can use uh, Photoshop or other tools to do it but really i'd find just hire somebody through craigslist and talk to a designer and say listen i want a quick mock-up and can you uh just make it for me you know work out something could even be under a 100 bucks and cost and basically use that so people can visualize your product another thing just another tool that you can use is balsamic to really make these mock-ups and then i went to the resellers i knew but i also did a lot of cold calling right and now of course cold calling there's something behind it's funny some people say never cold call other people I know business people who've made fortunes cold calling even today. Uh, Now, obviously, the key here was I was cold calling IT companies, and that's a lot easier because they're looking for clients, and they're quite open to finding another product to sell so they can differentiate themselves. So I just literally picked up Yellow Pages and started calling uh, IT companies, um, you know, across Canada and finding them. Uh, And then I would, uh, you know, basically meet with them using an online meeting tool and show them the mock-ups. And see if it's something that they want to sell. Now, obviously, uh, I'll be honest with you here. <laughs> with the ones I didn't know, where it was a cold call, uh, I didn't tell them that this is nothing more than a Photoshop mock-up. I said, you know, this is the product that, that we're developing; it'll be available in you know six months. I didn't, tell, you know, they, they assumed that there was a lot more to it. And sometimes you've got to, you know, politely uh, do that in appropriate way because you just really don't want to invest in, until you have a, a fit uh, in advance. And that was a process, and I think that can be replicated. You know, at a big company like IBM, if we have an idea, we can get a set of clients and sort of co-develop it like that. And and the thing is, you have to be a little strict. You do have to say, uh, you know, look, um, will you pay up front? Subscribe to this right as a reseller. You, people are always going to be positive and, and you kind of have to be hard on yourself and a little bit hard on them even to make that commitment to really make sure you're validating properly.
1: What do you think your percentage hit rate was for cold calling?
0: Oh, God. I mean, low. You have to get, you have to be ready to get rejected 100 times a day. I mean, I'd make 100 cold calls a day. I'd actually set that as a goal. Afterwards, I cut it to 50. And then frankly, after I got a few uh, key resellers, I just went to digital marketing because it's less painful (laughs) than, you know, getting rejected times a day. But I'd say you do need to, yeah, you know, it's about numbers. You have to cold call 100 a day, right? And then you'll definitely find a bag of, you know, one or two opportunities in that bag, and only one of those will pan out. So I'd say about one percent. Right. But the key is it's still a one time action, which yields repetitive growth because you get that one reseller. And I think we, we see this, you know, with IBM partners, you educate that one IBM partner really well, or you educate that one reseller really well, then they will actually sell your product for you and generate their own revenue stream, which you'll take a part of. So those sorts of things where you have a one time action that then results in recurring growing revenue is a very powerful model to keep in mind.
1: It's the gift that keeps on giving, right? All right. So that was number one. See now we're on number two, use a platform. Can you tell us about that?
0: Uh, yes. Okay. So this is especially for, you know, this applies to really internal and external, uh, equally. Now that I think about it, people love having an idea and then building it perfectly from scratch. But in truth, you really want to focus only on your differentiator. So, you know, and and I think at IBM, we've learned that a little better than perhaps uh, some other companies, but for other companies on the call, and especially if you're doing your own thing, make sure you sort of build in big pieces. Don't don't build your own web framework, right? Use Django, which is already there. Uh, Use IBM Cloud, which provides a great platform to build apps in. So that way you don't have to build your own management system. And now it's a bit more common Right. To do that sort of thing. When I wrote that article, actually, it was a bit more controversial. You know, am I going to tie myself to the IBM cloud uh, with this project? Because, hey, you know, maybe uh, maybe I can do it more cheaply myself by running servers in my basement or something. Right. But now more than ever, you really want to invest in a platform. And in fact, I would say just looking at incubators and the success and failure rate, the ability to leverage a good platform. Uh, and I mean development platform and cloud platform, similar to IBM cloud, which would be a great one really will make the difference between you being able to get your MVP out quickly and being able to keep your, you and anybody you work with uh, really focusing on the important things and not micromanaging your servers or anything like that. So that's why it's a very important thing to uh, keep in mind.
1: Got it. All right, Simon, number three, use a landing page service. What can you tell us?
0: Right. So the reason you want to use a landing page service is it's really tempting for you to go in with your developer or yourself, if you're a developer, and spend hours and hours on your landing page to improve your conversions. And frankly, you probably still won't get conversions as good as you would with just a landing page service. And the landing page service, they just saves so much time. They're, you know, 500 to $100 a month, and, you know, a decent one is probably in the $25 range. And what you can use that landing page for is whenever somebody clicks a Facebook ad, they'll go to that landing page and that landing page will have either a sign up form or perhaps point to your main page, but it will let you really optimize the, uh, your funnel, your sales funnel. And another thing that I see, and again, this is kind of better at the beginning of your, of your uh, product is to use the landing page as your main page even, right? I'd go that far because you're going to get a lot of organic search and you really want to convert that. The reason I advocate this is that it's just so important to convert traffic well and to understand what people are thinking in your product uh, and also the cost of doing it yourself by constantly recoding, constantly moving buttons, and, and whether you're doing it yourself with a developer, it will kill your ability to move quickly. And that's why I mentioned it as a critical element in terms of really uh, getting your company going, especially if it's a digital-focused a digital uh, lead, lead generation sort of company.
1: Did you originally start out doing this by yourself?
0: Yes. So originally, I kept on. Um, you know, I I, I did the, it myself, where I had somebody who would program the site for me. And as you can imagine, it was so much work to constantly change it so that we that way we are converting our our leads effectively. You know, and that's where I really learned that the, the cost is you won't have a perfect landing page, right? And again, great is the enemy of good. I think that's Peter Bradford's. Setting, But it really applies here. And when you have a product, you want it to be so perfect initially, but you've got to let go. You've got to just have those landing pages adjusted really quickly and really easily so you can get your growth engine going. And I learned that the hard way by pouring tons of money and my own time into constantly tweaking a landing page.
1: How much venture capitalist funding did you get with this project when you started? Did Good they question.
0: Yeah, go ahead. Good question. So none. I actually, believe it or not, uh, this was... Uh, before venture capital kind of really existed in Canada, banks just laughed at me. They're like, okay, where are the hard assets in the business? And I was like, "Like, there's very few hard assets, right? It's all labor, which is going to be burned away. And at that time in Canada, it's changed so much. Now you can easily raise capital. So I basically had like five grand in camp counselor money, which is a lot. I even saved a lot. And then I got another five grand actually just as a silly little summer company program that the province of Ontario, it's like Toronto, Ontario, I gave out, you know, which was designed sort of to like teach people how to start a business over the summer. (laughs) Ironically, so that was that was my ten (laughs) K seed. And then I was I was also lucky that um, you know I had no overheads. I was just a guy sitting in my mom's basement with free rent and free food. So I had a lot of time to just figure things out. And also at that time, uh, Google AdWords was very cheap, right? And so I was able to uh, get much higher conversion rates in the beginning, and that really helped sort of set a platform. You know, once I built up that revenue steam, it was a lot easier to reinvest in the profits.
1: Well, the bad news is you didn't get the investment that you were looking for, maybe even some guidance that you could have needed to learn some of this experience. The good news, you went through it. And we have you today for the experience that you have as a as an outcome. And uh, I think you did all right. So number four, let's go to number four. Yep. Get a co-founder. This is when you call your, your buddy in, in high school and say, hey, look, are you doing anything?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you must do this. And uh, if you And if it's an internal project, again, I would say, Get an internal co-founder. Get this, you know you have a great idea for your company. If you, if you want me to talk about it soon, but there's a lot of really great reasons to start a, a product inside a company. It's a lot of fun and you get a lot more resources off the bat, right? So whether it's an internal project or an external project, you must get somebody to share the workload. I know what you may be thinking. Oh, but it's my idea. Oh, it's this. I would say off the bat, you really want to find somebody to partner with. And just remember, it's always better to have a small piece of a big pie than a big piece of a little pie and the amount of work will be excruciatingly high. So you absolutely must do that.
1: Good advice. Number five, focus only on one thing. Didn't you violate this yourself?
0: Yes, I did violate it and uh, I did violate it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And you did well because of it. Now, wait a second. You take that back?
0: So no, because here's the thing. When I did make that switch, I was already really focused on one thing, which was file file storage, right? Like online file storage. And keep in mind, I had so many other passions. And this is a very common thing for everybody. And I had so many other passions. So yeah, after many years, I switched to online backup. But I was tempted to switch to social media. I was tempted to switch to, you know, building cool robots um, or, or adding features in different directions. So I still was very, very focused. I had uh, file, uh, you know, like B two B strictly file storage. I was not going to get into the knife fight of the consumer market. Then, when this other opportunity emerged, I very carefully, carefully with my focus, decided to to leverage that as well. But keep in mind, at that point, I already had a lot of momentum, you know, with the, the first product. So, and they're so related that it that it made a lot more sense. Uh, what I see often uh, is entrepreneurs who really have more than one idea and they do an idea for six months while it's cool. But then afterwards their mind sort of wanders. Right. And that's, that's really dangerous. Unfortunately, being an entrepreneur, having your own startup is a lot more boring than working for a big company. And I know that might be like, Hey, that can't be true. Or, Hey, don't say that. But that's just the truth. When you have a startup, sure. The first six months you've got the latest and greatest technology. Nobody else has it. You're totally innovative. But by the time you get out there and the time you uncover all the other competitors who also were emerging, and by the time you're in the market for two or three years, it's not like you can just switch to a different department. You're stuck with that idea for years and years and years and years. And when you think about what that's like in contrast to IBM, you know, today I work on DB2 on cloud. I love it. Uh, You know, I don't think I'm moving from here. But, hey, next year, if I wanted to, I could switch to work on quantum computing. Or I could work on, you know, IBM Watson Health. All these interesting things. Or I can go from a product manager role to a different interesting role. Maybe I would like to do uh, sales and close. You know, IBM is well known for just closing huge deals, which are really exciting. Uh, keep in mind, as a startup, it's hard to see this from the corporate world, but it's it can get very very hard to stay focused and focus on selling the same darn product day after day. But you've got to you've got to do it, and you've got to commit to that promise you made to yourself to really focus on that one technology and not get sidetracked.
1: All right. I got that's it. Number team. six, go to an incubator. And does that mean go to your mom's basement?
0: No, that's a terrible incubator. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great place to focus on work. So yes, I spent, uh, I, I wasted a lot of time learning things the hard way and the right move was to go to an incubator. Those didn't exist in Canada at the time, but now they do. An incubator is, is just, um, a place which sort of incubates companies and they, they keep you there for you know one month to one year. And they sort of just uh, set you straight. And, and the reason you want to go there, trust me, until you go there, you might think it's not a big deal. But once you go there and you have a few conversations with people, you'll see the power. It's not the incubator or the staff that they provide. It's the other founders who are solving the same problem, who are also trying to, to figure out you know, this whole digital marketing thing and how to grow faster and faster. It's also the fact that if you're raising capital, which today I would suggest that you should raise capital. You should, you know, you should probably shouldn't use your own money for a business uh, past a certain point. Um, then, rather than having to meet with all these investors individually, which is very, very hard and time-consuming, the incubator sort of has a central place where investors will come in, where you'll get a certain rolodex and be able to talk to people. And uh, fundraising is a full-time job uh, on top of your other full-time jobs. So, being in an incubator just just the time you save by having quicker access to those uh, investors is very valuable. And of course, another thing is that uh, for those who are raising capital, valuations are actually very scientific. A lot of people think you can walk into a room, uh, give a great speech, and then you know get a few million dollars because they have a good product market fit. Actually, it's a lot like the stock market. Valuations are quite precise, and you need to talk to other startups in your incubator about the valuations they've gotten to make sure that you're getting a good deal, right? So incubator is going to be absolutely critical. And anybody who says don't go to an incubator, just don't listen to them. You must go.
1: Did you Did you go to an incubator or where did you go to get uh, guidance? I guess you didn't have incubators, you said, in Canada at that time. So maybe that's a moot point.
0: When I was running IQ Storage, I then, actually, I, I then actually did spend some time in a Waterloo incubator. And that's when I walked in there. And in one day, I realized I should have came there way earlier, right? Like when I was younger, uh, because I just learned so much in one day, right? And this unbelievable amount of of data, right? And sometimes it's just that one contact to an investor that can make all the difference.
1: I mean, how did you identify that you were getting the right evaluation for your company when you sold it?
0: Good question. Uh, So, well, there's two types of valuations and it's very important not to confuse them. One is your valuation when you're raising funds, okay? The other one is the valuation if you sell or exit a business, right? Uh, Now, when you sell or exit, I would say uh, it's, you know, I'll I'll start, start to finish. I'll start with when you raise money. Now, uh, keep in mind that uh, uh, with IQ Storage, after a while, again, I broke my own rule. I had an idea to do a startup with my cousin, mostly because we had the summer together, right? And we actually, uh, you know, built something called Snippy. It was actually kind of like a precursor to Slack, and we probably should have continued pursuing it. Uh, and I went to Waterloo Incubator. Uh, we did get an offer. Uh, we decided not to take the offer because uh, at that point, it was just a summer project. And and actually, I raised capital a lot, like. I got an offer faster than I thought, and then for a number of reasons, he had a job offer. I had IQ Storage, which was an existing business that was growing, and I felt it was better for me to stay focused and and not pursue this other venture. And similarly, he, you know, he was like, "Well, I had the summer off, but now I just graduated. I want to see what the world is like." So in the end, we did not pursue it. That was probably almost certainly a mistake. <laughs> so, but from that, yeah, I mean, what you ha- what you should do is valuations change all the time, and they're higher than you expect. Keep in mind, it's not your money, so I'm gonna I'm gonna be a bit. Brazen and throw out a number now the number the valuations now are much higher than this, and you should not this is only so you get an idea of what it was like in Canada at that time when the market wasn 't as hot. Uh, we had an offer of about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for about thirty percent of the company right so and keep in mind that 's not Simon getting a check that he can do whatever he wants, but that 's money that goes into the company funds to pay for things like marketing, hiring developers, and that can be burned down really quickly. At that time, a product which you know were literally didn't exist three months ago. Three months later, we got that offer, and we we decided to not pursue it further. Uh, and that and I'd say that that uh, and it initially I got a much worse offer. I got something which was like half that, half as good as that. But luckily, I was in that incubator, and really, you just talk about it with the guys, like you talk, uh, and girls there, right? The you know you talk about it with the other co-founders, and they say, well, I got this valuation. They say I got that valuation, and I realized, hey, what the heck, you know, like our valuation is way too small. So then we, you know, it's very hard to change the valuation once an investor has an idea in their mind. So, uh, you know, we ended up going to another investor who gave us a a valuation which we felt was more fitting. That's really that in a nutshell. And again, the the valuations change. They go up and they go down all the time. Now, valuations are far higher. Of course, uh, cost of programmers are also higher. Uh, So, you know, uh, you have to, again, be in that incubator to really understand your valuation.
1: I got it. Already right, got two more to get through. Number seven, get it designed professionally, comma, faster. <laughs> ah,
0: okay. I'd have to refer, refer to exactly what this was referring to. But in some designers are like the hardest people to manage, and uh, they are artists. You're managing artists, and, and you need to make sure that, that the designers are going to deliver something quickly uh, that you like. You know, my strategy is, I'd say, frankly, you should use a third-party designer, whose work you like, and you really want to find somebody who can turn around something which is good and that turns around quickly and they're not going to spend a million years doing it. If you're looking for a creative design, I would search I would search 99designs and dribble or find a designer on the web who has work that you already like because to be honest with you, a lot of designers have trouble working out of the box and creating something totally unique. Find something that's similar to what you like and ask them to customize it and then you'll get it right uh, the first time.
1: Nice one. So then on the end... Number eight, this is kind of self-explanatory, but it's a problem I think we all have. Assume things will take much longer to complete.
0: Great, and this is a good lesson, again, anywhere. I know a lot of people say, just jump in and do it. Don't do that, it's a terrible idea. Startups are really hard, and even internal ideas always require a lot more pain and suffering than you think. So assume that. If you set aside a two-year runway, you talk to your loved ones, maybe that's your wife or girlfriend, uh, or your parents, and you tell them, listen, you know, I'm going to be doing this for two years, I'm going to need a runway, uh, set that up. Uh, now, There's this human temptation to say, I am so strong, I can do this all by myself, and I'll just do it. Uh, that's really a bad idea. And I know, and look, I was totally like that. And I, and I suffered a lot because of it. If, if you just engage people, you know, if you're going to do an internal idea, in the, even if it's in the corporate world, because you have an idea for a product line, or if you have an idea uh, for the startup world, you will need to rely on your loved ones. Uh, and that's just, you know, you're a human being. It takes a, a town to raise a child, in, and it takes the whole world really collectively sort of to uh, build a society with roads and everything that allows a single human being to live. So don't think that you can do this yourself. Uh, nobody's going to put on your gravestone. You know, he did it all him, all by himself. Engage your loved ones. Uh, uh, reach out if, if you, you know, if you want to do your own idea, and you know that that means you're going to be coming home a little bit later every day uh talk to your wife or girlfriend about that and get them on board tell them this is something you're passionate about and leave a big runway leave a 2 year runway uh because you know if you have a 2 year runway you have enough room to make mistakes and learn as you go and trust me you'll you'll want that 2 year runway and if you think for and if you think with that mentality you know you'll be ready because a lot of people you know they jump in thinking that it'll be done in 6 months and then you know their their idea fails
1: all right i think we've got them all down Thank you for that. That was fascinating, but I got to now transition that to a question. Well, one last question and then I'm going to ask you some more uh, about some of the stuff that you're doing uh, personally. But that last question is, look, as the offering manager for DB2 on cloud is what you do day to day. And it happens to be something I'm very vested in because it's a, it's a product within my portfolio. How do you try to bring the process that you just described, in the mentality that you just outlined to the product, to this product and the teams that you work here, work with here at IBM.
0: Great. So I think the number one thing is, you know, it's, it's funny. IBM is like the smallest company I've ever worked for. And I know that sounds nuts, but it, it really feels that way. Part of that is because IBM just has an amazing uh, culture and, and just also the culture of caring of customers. You know, I, I really underestimated how much a company can do that, do that. But, everybody's at your fingertips at a big company because you have blue pages or what have you we almost see our large size as an excuse sometimes to be overly bureaucratic and what you really need to do is just cut to the details so for example if there's a campaign in market right they'll say oh yeah here's a graph of our 7% to 70% whatever return don't accept it as a chart what are the customers we closed with that campaign if this campaign was so successful why don't we double or triple the the budget so we can grow even faster right ha- have that target in mind and and always cut down to is this action going to grow and it's and it's hard you'll have uh, in a big company of legal concerns and this and that you know we published a benchmark showing that we totally blew amazon aurora out of the water in terms of performance db2 on cloud is twice the performance of amazon aurora and uh it would have been so easy so many people in the organization the majority and i'm not just talking about you know people on the sidelines like the lawyers I'm talking about, you know, even people in the development and marketing organization pushing back very hard saying, you know, why are we going to publish this benchmark? It's too hard. It's too this. You've got to stay racer focused and say, you know, we're publishing this benchmark, period. You know, same with having 99.99% uptime. People told us it's just too high, higher than the Bluemix uptime when we had DB2 on cloud having 99.99% uptime. Uh, and and you just have to stay stay razor focused and say, look, there's a, there's a few things we need. We don't need a whole bunch of things. We need a benchmark showing we're better than the, than the current market leader, which we have for DB2 on Cloud, and we are. We need rock solid uptime, and we have to engineer that and get it through legal, no matter what. And we have to make sure that customers are confident about that. And then you know we need a marketing engine, which which we can really double down on, and that's working. And that might seem simple, but you know what? It's hard in a big organization, but you need to stay razor focused and not get distracted with part numbers or bureaucratic processes, um, or even just uh, people uh, trying too many things. You need to stay razor focused on a small set of things, and that's I think you have to think. Wake up every day and say, "What have I done to really add a zero to our revenue today?" Right? Not just grow by three percent or grow by one customer. What have how What have I done to add a zero? And if you go in with that mentality, you'll find that uh, first of all, you'll find that you're surrounded by a lot of Uh, things that aren't necessary and you'll find ways to shrug those off. And second of all, you'll, you'll make sure that every day you focus on only on what is really the most meaningful actions.
1: That's my favorite quote from you. We get into these sessions for those that are, that are listening here and Simon always asks, what can we do to add a zero? And that really adds clarity in the vision or innovation that you're assessing. What can you do to add a zero? I think everybody should ask that question. Just to be fair, I know you gave us a lot of the information, you know, in terms of what it means to be a startup, etc. But anything else you want to add, in fairness, to DB2 on on cloud or or DB2 in general? Sure. Well, I I want to be fair to you because I know you came on here and and that's your, your bread and butter right now.
0: Yes, uh, uh, it is. And and I, I just encourage people to really try out DB2 on cloud. There's a free tier we've got. You can try it. It's free forever. Uh, you just have to reactivate once every 30 days. And I think you'll be really surprised at what the DB2 engine can do. Uh, we've got a lot of, it's a very, very powerful engine with a lot of features. Um, and it'll be hard to go back once you once you try it. So give it a shot. Uh, and, I, and I hope that uh, those out there have fun with it. You can try it for free. Just uh, type in DB2 on cloud and Google and you'll, be able to get right in there and, and try it out.
1: So I've just got a, a few questions about yourself, Simon, and, and I'll be quick. I noticed that you describe yourself as a coder and a startup guy. In another area, you said, I'm an entrepreneurial-minded programmer. Any, anything you can elaborate on any of those? Are you still coding today? Uh,
0: I, I try to. Um, uh, it's, it's hard to find the time, but definitely, I mean, I, I still love coding, uh, it's one of those things you just fall in love with, and and you just keep on wanting to uh, to do it and do it. Uh, but you know, uh, right now I, I don't have a lot of time for that. I would, I still think that describes myself. And uh, even though I don't code on a daily basis, I make a point of keeping up to date with industry trends. And I think that a lot of people, uh, I think that's important when you're you know managing a product line. That even though you don't have time to do things on a daily basis, you stay up to date.
1: Are you still blogging a lot. Uh,
0: not as recently. much as you did. Um, but, uh, I would love to, I'd love to spend more time on that. Right. But blogging is actually quite time consuming when you really get into it. It's uh you've it's got some really interesting blogs out
1: there, you know, Yeah, and, and, and they don't, they're all in all different kind of themes, which I find very interesting. You know, one was the blog that we just kind of talked about in the startup blog that really caught my eye. Uh, and you know, the following conversations that we have in a regular basement in our offering management meetings, that kind of thing. But then, You've also got something that says why grilled cheese lovers are better at life. Now, what would inspire you to create that blog? You must, somebody must've been challenging you on how many grilled grilled cheeses you're eating or something.
0: <laughs> yeah. Or I lost a bit or something. Good question. <laughs> and this will be a good, maybe a good learning lesson for everybody. So interestingly, uh, life hack, um, you know, that's when I was just having fun with blogging and I want to just publish more articles and, and learn how to write, um, And so if you are accepted to Lifehack as a writer, then they have these things where, okay, this pitch is pre-approved because we know there's a market for it, right? And often this is like pretty dry stuff. It's, you know, stuff that, you know, for lack of a better word, it's the stuff that people type into Google, right? And not, you know, dry content, which is why they'll just let you write it without a pitch approval. But then I saw this one, which is why grilled cheese... And I was like, yes, this is going to be awesome. And, and I, totally believe, I totally believe it. I mean, um, so, so it was really fun. And, and that lesson is, you know, if, you, if you're willing to take a pitch, right, then sometimes you can, uh, get, have, A, have a lot of fun, and B, then you can get an article published, right? That's so in
1: that up. article, it says grilled cheese lovers have more sex. Are you sure that yes. that's the case?
0: I'm very confident. I'm very confident. Are you,
1: and you've even got statistics on that. Are you sure those statistics you, – did you gather those statistics yourself?
0: No, I didn't. I
1: think that ultimately those probably came
0: from the dairy industry. <laughs> because, you know, it's
1: very good. Being
0: creative with their tactics.
1: You are a good man. We have a, great, we have a lot of great conversations in, in offering management. I'm glad I think others will find you fascinating as well. And you're well spoken. I think you described the startup world extremely well for for those that are are, are interested that either they're going through it or have went through it they'll probably it'll probably resonate with many so thank you for being here i appreciate your time you've been great anything that we left unsaid that you'd like to get out there no just you know
0: whatever you do remember to have fun that's the most important thing and thanks i really enjoyed this this was a great
1: time being here simon lightstone you're a good man thank you so much and uh, for all the listeners again talk to you next time keep Keep coming back, please. We'll, we'll try to alter uh, any of the topics in in the ways that you'd like uh, like them to be shaped. So let us know, you know, what you'd like to hear about. We we'll get it on the docket. Thank you.
0: Over and out.